0: Throughout this part of the year, I think that a lot of the times we see people losing grip On the things that make them feel the best. So if you know that movement and hydration and eating healthy helps you really feel good, this is that time of the year when we let excuses and we let calendars and other priorities that aren't taking care of ourselves in and we let those take over. And if you're like me and you can feel that start to creep up, if you've been missing out and not prioritizing the things that make you feel really good, you can feel that immediately. That is why I am a massive advocate for Open. This is the only app that offers breathwork, meditation, and movement classes. You've heard me mention it before that I've been incorporating breathwork into my morning routine. This has changed the game for me. Typically, I wake up and automatically have a little bit of that anxiety and a little bit of that natural energy that is almost uncomfortable. And so instead of trying to just work through that, I've been trying to breathe through it. So not only have I been doing a seven to 10 minute meditation in the morning as soon as I wake up, but I'll do a one to two minute breath work. This has helped me increase my natural energy even before coffee. I am laser focused. I have decreased anxious thoughts, and it also just helps me to make sure that I'm keeping up with the things that make me feel really good. They are doing a October challenge, and this is something I'm going to participate in just on my own, just keeping me accountable for the things that make me feel really good. You can join me for free for 30 free days. Use the code HOTTER. Go to withopen.com HOTTER. Again, that is withopen.com HOTTER. You'll get 30 days for free. And the open app, you can try breathwork, meditation, Pilates, yoga, all of these amazing, amazing products or amazing uh, parts of this app. Again, it is withopen.com slash hotter for 30 days for free. And you can join me in the October challenge. Welcome to the hotter than health podcast, a podcast and resource for those looking to expand and elevate their lives. Each week, we will bring you provocative topics, engaging interviews, and some of the biggest names in health and wellness to answer your burning questions. Each episode, you will leave with tangible tips and takeaways so that you can immediately begin to elevate and optimize your life.
1: 2022, these microbes are very intertwined with human health in a powerful way. So, like they're connected to our digestion our immune system, metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, energy levels. If you go back to that story of me on the couch and how I was feeling and all the things that were affecting me, I think like it's very clear to me it was a gut health issue. For
0: the past four and a half years, I have asked everyone listening to the podcast, who would be your dream guest? Who do you want to hear on? And of course, there have been some requests for Kardashians. There have been some requests for other people that I, I, I genuinely am just trying to find access to and it's getting pretty tough. However, there has been one looming interview that I have had a request for every single time I poll for the past four and a half years. Any guesses? Any? Today we finally have on Dr. B. You heard me. We have on Dr. Will Bolsowitz. All right. If you haven't heard of Dr. B, he is the gut health MD on Instagram. He has created a massive business for his take and expertise on expertise on gut health. He is a New York Times bestselling author two times. He is a Zoe U.S. medical director. He is a, of course, you know, he's a fiber chef, but he's a GI doctor. He's a father. He's a husband. And he has grown his following, his entire business from The ground up he really realized that based on his own issues that he was experiencing in his life lack of energy depression not feeling like himself extreme weight gain and unable to keep it off even though he was working out an extreme amount as a medical doctor he thought oh my gosh well i'm a doctor i should be able to do all of these things by myself but he realized that after careful observation lots of study self-trial that plant dominance, and fiber-fueled lifestyle is the way to longevity. This is the most incredible interview. We got to talk in person, and he gave the goods. I tried to ask as many questions as I knew you guys would be interested in. I asked, I polled uh, the audience before our interview, and then I tried to put myself in a lot of my actual clients and nutrition clients' heads when they come to me saying that they need help with digestion and weight loss and energy. And we really went into it. I kind of gave him case studies, and, or not case studies, but I gave him a lot of information saying, hey, this is what's happening. What would you do? And I really wanted him to, I wanted to see how he was as a practitioner. And he truly treats his patients with so much care, so much respect. And it's something that we really don't see in the medical field. I broke this off into two different episodes because we just had so much information and I wanted you all to be able to soak it in as much as possible. And make sure you're taking notes. We're going to have some links in the show notes as well. But next episode for part two, we go into even more detail, probably even more detail. I don't know. There's a lot of detail in both episodes, but... We go into even more detail and we have a giveaway for you all. Of course, we have a giveaway. And this was one of those conversations where at the end, him and I both looked at each other and we were like, we got to do a part two. And that felt pretty cool. So we absolutely will have on Dr. Will Bolsowitz again. Again, that is the gut health MD on Instagram. So many people who have had gut issues, they've had cancer, ulcerative colitis, IBS, gluten intolerance. Any type of food allergy, food sensitivity, constipation, skin issues, rashes, eczema, like this truly goes everywhere. And I'm so excited for you all to hear this and understand this because I I would be willing to say that there were a few questions that he hadn't even gotten to discuss on podcasts before. This is one of my favorites. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to just say thank you so much for those who are listening and those who are actively participating and leaving reviews Uh, for those people who have podcasts who have much larger followings it's still very important for reviews and SEO to have people interacting with the episodes. So if you have not already, head to Apple Podcasts, click follow or subscribe. And if you have an extra second, rate us five stars and leave us a review. It is the best way for people to naturally and organically find the Hotter Than Health podcast. If you're searching for health, wellness, weight loss, nutrition, holistic or lifestyle, wellness, Anything within those means, people will be able to find hotter than health the more reviews we have. Thank you in advance. and if you're listening on Spotify, feel free to rate us five stars as there as well and click follow. That way you never miss an episode. and that way you definitely do not miss episode two, part two of this Dr. B episode. Again, thank you so much. and if this is your first time listening, Please make sure you subscribe because we have so many amazing episodes in the, uh, what is the word? In the vault. In the vault. Yeah, let's go with vault. God, I'm so excited for this episode. Shall we get into it? Without further ado, I bring to you the Gut Health MD. Welcome, Dr. B, to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. B.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Well... I think we're all very excited to hear a little more from you. I think everyone who's listening has probably heard you on a podcast before. The goal here is to give some people some info that maybe they are scared to ask your doctor, scared to talk about with their friends, think they're the only ones, or just want to feel like they know what's going on in their body. Right.
1: I mean, I think that's so reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, um, it's sad that we exist in a healthcare system where it's just like become a factory Mm -hmm. and i can just tell you speaking on the doctor's side of things we don't want it to be that way Mm -hmm. but it is what it is this is this is where we're at and so
0: with the amount of people you have coming in it's not an option to sit with the patient for half an hour
1: well you know this is this is so it's not why we're here today for this conversation but just touch on it real quick just to kind of so people kind of get the perspective you know the the problem is as a healthcare provider, you, you want to accept insurance. So for example, like Medicaid, which is state you know issued insurance for people that can't afford to buy other types of insurance, you want to accept that. Like you don't want to reject those people yeah. who need healthcare, right? But the problem is that like that amount of money that you get paid to do that is so small. Mm-hmm. And when you add in the rising cost of of an office space and the rising cost of employing other people. Yeah. And the rising cost of medical equipment, and so like these things are getting more expensive.
0: Sure.
1: The amount that doctors are getting paid is getting actually reduced, and so then you end up in this situation where doctors kind of are left with a Making couple. Making those hard decisions. These are tough decisions. Like, do you want to take a pay cut? Well, like who who wants to volunteer for a pay cut? Raise sure. your hand if you're excited about that. Yeah. Right. Um, do you want to take a pay cut? Do you want to see more people in the same amount of time, um, or? Uh, do you want to leave that type of system altogether mm. and then be fee for service like an attorney? Mm-hmm. Right. But then the problem is that you're going to be like, look, um, it's 500 bucks an hour. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Right. And so that's not really cool to the people who actually need your help the most. Yeah. So
0: that's a good point. And I, I'm happy to hear your perspective because I think that as we start to get more into holistic practices and, uh, internal medicine and more of a holistic approach, it's, it's hard because I feel like a lot of people see doctors right now as villains who just, it is that machine. You see it in like labor and delivery. You just get them in and get them out. You see it all the time. And so they feel like they're not being heard. But at the end of the day, I've never heard a doctor say, oh I got into this practice because I don't want to help people. People want to help people. But, so it's nice to hear it from you.
1: I think it's just hard. I think it's very hard because I can tell you that young doctors like myself, we come out with profound debt. Like, people don't realize how deeply- Paint that
0: picture for us. When you came out- Hundreds of thousands of
1: dollars. Yeah. Like, it's like you already have a mortgage Mm -hmm. and you haven't even bought a house yet. Yeah. Right?
0: And then you're out working 80 hours a week as soon as you could graduate.
1: Well, you graduate med school, and like I graduated med school in, in 2006. Yeah. I was 20, uh, I was 20, like 25, 26 years old when I graduated med school. And so, so you graduate and then you're employed in your training as like a resident yes, or as a fellow. Mm-hmm. And during that period of time, I mean, I was being paid like, you know, this was I and mean, granted it was 15 years ago, but like $40,000 a year. Yeah. Right. So when you do the math on the amount of work that I was doing mm-hmm. like I actually you it know it is a mortgage yeah it's, it's crazy a well because like the the debt is accumulating but you don't have the money to actually pay for your own education
0: yes so your hole is just you're just digging this so hole so you're just getting
1: deeper <laughs> in your hole and so like I finished my medical training in 2006 but I didn't actually start practice until 2014 so that was eight years that uh, inter- the, the interest is basically accumulating on that debt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and again, like, this is not why we're here, but I think that these are, these are just the facets of a complex healthcare system that sucks. Yeah. And like, we feel it too. We as doctors feel it too. And, um, you know, for me and my personal journey, when I, when, when I discovered through my own health crisis mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you know, where I was like, high, you know, 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I was super anxious. I was depressed, like literally.
0: So you were, ex- can you talk about that a little more, go into what was going on in your life at that time?
1: Um, I was in my early thirties. Mm-hmm. I was in my GI fellowship. I was at the university of North Carolina. Okay. And yeah. so the, yeah, the, and the terminology, just so people understand, like resident is basically residency is what you do right after medical school. And that's like the first step towards being certified, board certified as some sort of doctor. So like my residency was in internal medicine. So by 2009, I was done with that Mm -hmm. and I could be an internal medicine doctor. And if I wanted to just be an internal medicine doctor, not, I don't mean that like just an internal medicine doctor, but what I mean Mm -hmm. is like, if I wanted to do that, I could have done that. I was, I could have been done with my training in 2009, but I wanted to be a specialist. So to become a specialist, then you go beyond your residency, you do a fellowship. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, now. This entire picture that I'm painting, I mean, people need to understand that medical school, okay, I worked, you know, at least six days a week, if not seven. Yeah. From 7 a.m. till, like, I've studied till 10 o'clock at night. Ugh. And then, like, residency, um, six days a week, you know, uh, 13 to sometimes 30 hours in a row.
0: Jeez Louise. Of course your immune system's going to be shot. You're going to be feel horrible.
1: Well, and you you end up in this position where you're in you're in your 20s. Yeah. And the, your friends that you graduated college with, they're in Europe. <laughs> right? And you're in a hospital uh. for the 30th hour in a row. And you just feel like you're being murdered. Like like literally everything that you have and everything that you are as a human is taken from you. You are dehumanized.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you are a worker And you are a part of a system and the, so you, the little bit of control that you still have is like, Hey, I have five minutes to eat. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm going to eat something that I like.
0: Like you have to be stoic about it where you have to have, you're like, Oh, well I have my reasons choice. I have my peace of mind if I get to control this one aspect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So like, you know, am I the only person on the planet who likes Taco Bell? Of course not. Taco Bell tastes great. It's just incredibly unhealthy for you. Fair. But if you put me in a position where I have no money, I have no time, Mm -hmm. I have no desire to cook, and I just want something that tastes good, gosh, Taco Bell actually fits perfectly into that formula, right? So you start making these choices and you're doing it through your 20s. And even though I was like a high school athlete and I thought I had a great metabolism, you know, I come from a family where people are skinny and things like that, well, next thing you know, you like... It didn't happen overnight, but I felt like I woke up one day and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, who the hell is that?
0: It's like death by a thousand paper cuts.
1: Yeah. And and it reaches a tipping point at some point where you're just like, who's that guy? Who's yeah. that guy? And and also, you're just not in a good place. Like I was like literally, it didn't matter how great my professional life was. You, you know, you led into the episode talking about my education with all these great things like were happening for me professionally. I felt like crap. Hmm. And I literally was not exaggerating, curled up under a blanket, on, on a couch in a dark room. And I just wanted people to leave me alone. That's kind of yeah. where I was at. Yeah. And um, so... You were
0: 50 pounds overweight. You were anxious. What else were you feeling at that time physically? Depressed,
1: low self-esteem, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, mm. um, fatigue, extreme fatigue. Got it. And so actually th- this moment for me... You know, it's so weird because as you age, like I'm in my forties now, I look back on these moments and I go, wow, like that sucked mm-hmm. so much when it was happening. And yet look at how that transformed my my life in a good way. Yeah. And it, um, it was something that I, I knew I had a problem. I knew that I needed to fix it. I didn't really have the solution from my own medical training at Georgetown and Northwestern and the University of North Carolina. These are elite American institutions. Um, but I didn't know how to fix my own issue. Yeah. And then what I discovered to be the solution was diet and lifestyle, things that I had not been taught anything about. Yet when I turned to the medical literature asking the question, is there even any science to back this up? Like, is this, is this real or is this just complete BS? I found that there were literally thousands of papers published to back up what had happened. And I just could not understand why I had not been taught this. Yeah. So, but I think that the key point, what I wanted to come come to is that um, as a medical doctor who really cares about, like, to me, these are not a person who sits with me in a room and is my patient is not a code or a diagnosis or a problem right or something i want to get out of my way. Mm-hmm. This is a human being and they are suffering. And they have gone out of their way to spend time with me because they think that i can help them with that. Mm-hmm. That's actually a tremendous honor. Yeah. Um and so if you if you care about your patients the way that i like this is my life's dream was to be a doctor. If you care about that, then when you discover something like this, you have no choice.
0: Mm-hmm
1: this has to be a part of what you do. Like, it's like
0: part of that Hippocratic Oath that you sign where you say, what is it, you will do no harm to anyone, or I don't know what the Hippocratic Oath is, well, but it, it's like you have you have this obligation to share this information with okay. people.
1: Okay, in 2002, I took the Hippocratic Oath for the first time. It, my mom was in the audience, she was crying. I put on a white coat for the first time. Mm. And it was a great moment. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think about the Hippocratic Oath. At the end of the day, what I think about is that's a human, that's a person yeah. and they need my help. And at the end of the day, you either have that intrinsic desire to help people or you don't. And we all, I, I, I pray that the people who go into medicine, this is what drives them into medicine. Because if you don't have that intrinsic desire, then medicine is going to turn you into a bad doctor yeah, because of the pressure that exists within the system. So anyway, for me, that desire is there. It's completely authentic. I feel like this is what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the, um, it, once this happened to me, it, I got to experience what it was like to be on the side of my patients, to understand what it feels like to feel like crap mm-hmm. and just desperately want to feel better. And so to have now some tools that helped me so much I have to turn and apply those to my own patients and the system doesn't support me. Like we've been talking about in the very beginning, the system doesn't support me. The system is going, not going to pay me. In fact, it's going to actually pay me less to make this choice. And I don't get any extra time. Mm -hmm. And now I'm taking a lot of my work home with me because I'm spending more time with my patients, right? As opposed to leaving the room as quickly as possible so I can write that note that I have to write. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. at the end of the day this is this is what this is what they need. And so
0: you say you have some tools <laughs> and I think that that is true to say. Can you dive into what when you were at that low point when you were at that dark point, 50 pounds overweight, anxious, miserable, what were the tools and what was your mirror to show you, hey, you're in a bad space and here's a way out. What was that first moment? What was that first tool that you were provided to introduce what you do now? All right, you know how we've all tried collagen supplements. People ask me all the time about collagen supplements, but at the end of the day, if you're not getting the magic ingredient of vitamin C, then you're wasting your time and your money. So vitamin C, of course, is a powerful immune-boosting nutrient, but Did you know that vitamin C is a critical nutrient for anti-aging? You see, vitamin C is essentially the glue that holds collagen together. So again, if you're not getting your vitamin C and you're not absorbing it, then taking those vitamins and supplements for collagen are kind of pointless. If you're taking vitamin C capsules or in a tablet, then you're definitely missing out on key nutrients and they'll simply pass through your body without being absorbed thanks to stomach acid. Our friends over at Purity Health have patented a formula utilizing something called MyCell Liposomal Technology. It delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream and it's proven to be 800% more efficient. So this is great for skin. If it is aging, sagging, looking dull, fine lines, this is for you. Give Purity Health's MyCell Liposomal Vitamin C a try. It's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. Today, we have 20% off on a coupon for you just visit puralityhealth.com use the code hth20 to access 20% off again puralityhealth.com use the code hth20 to access 20% off of your purchase and again make sure for that healthy skin you are trying the micelle liposomal vitamin c puralityhealth.com hth20 for 20% off
1: Okay, I tried to exercise my way out of this because I am a very goal-oriented person and I was a single male in his early 30s. So it's like, look, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll work out like crazy um, and then I can eat whatever I want. Mm-hmm. It didn't work.
0: The ego diet.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. that's, but like, it didn't work. Yeah. And um, despite the fact that I was working out, like, I'm not kidding six days a week, for each of those days, about 45 minutes of strength training. And then typically somewhere between a five and a 10 K on the treadmill, if it was, um, cold and if it was warm, I would jump in the pool and do 50 or a hundred laps okay. in the pool. So
0: you're not messing around. So you were really, you were working for this. You were like, I want to change this, but this you found out that that
1: was just not the answer. Yeah, and so I, I could like grow stronger and faster and all those things, but I couldn't actually fix these issues that existed mm-hmm. for me. So um, ultimately what's quite interesting and like just uh, serendipity is I end up meeting the person who's now my wife. And we we go on a date, work literally on a first date in Carborough, North Carolina. And we order our food, I order a pork chop, And she ordered just plants, which was, like, bizarre to me. Like, hold up. Like, that's not even a thing on the menu. You just ordered a
0: bunch of sides. You just
1: ordered a bunch of sides. Like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. And who is this person? Like, because I've never been around anyone like this. So, Mm -hmm. but but at the same time, that curiosity was like, oh, interesting. So, she is very happy with her meal. She ate the whole plate. Um, She's... Like, she looks amazing, Mm -hmm. and um, she seems to have her health, like, completely in alignment. Meanwhile, I'm over here struggling, Mm -hmm. and after we get done with dinner, I'm hungover, and she's, like, ready to go for round two at the date.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, all of these things were just, like, she never once, even to this day, has never said to me, hey, like, you got to do better, or you have to change your diet, or you have to be this, or be that, or here's a label for you. It was never that. It was always... Just she was living her life and her life was going really well for her. And I wanted a piece of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So
0: she was, we talk a lot about some woo-woo stuff on the podcast, but she sounds like she was an expander for you. Like she expanded your life and showed you so much more. Whereas that was an opportunity for you also to say, oh, she's different for me. Block it out.
1: Yeah, totally. She, it was... uh... It just opened my mind. It planted a seed and it was not a seed that like expanded instantly, but it was just it planted a seed of, huh, maybe the food that I've been eating, you know, literally since I was a kid Mm -hmm. is in fact the problem. Yeah. And maybe the way that she is eating something in that spectrum could be the solution.
0: Did you start immediately? You were like, okay, now I'm going to eat only plants. What was your process?
1: No, actually I spent years working because it was not for me. So let me say that I I, I, I care deeply about animals. Um, I care about the environment. These are like ethical reasons that people go vegan. But for me, it was not about that. Sure. For me, this was about my health and trying to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so... Really, I think the moment that things sort of changed, sort of like low point was just one day I was coming home from work and my typical thing was, okay, let me go to Hardee's. Like this is North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I can get a ton of food for five bucks. And rather than going to Hardee's, I diverted and I went home and I needed, I'm still like, you know, in my early thirties, single man. And I... Wasn't going to cook a gourmet meal, so I needed something easy. So I pulled out the blender and I just started throwing stuff in. And so, like, basically made a probably 35 or 40 ounce smoothie. Mm-hmm. Like, I filled it as high as it'll go. Yeah. And um, spent the next probably 45 minutes drinking like three large glasses of smoothie. Yeah. But I like instantly felt the difference. I felt energized and, um, I felt light and it was quite striking that I wasn't hung over after the meal because most of the time I would eat, I would, when I would eat junk food, I would feel great for five or 10 minutes, but then like an hour later you feel like complete garbage. Yeah. So So, it was
0: those, it was that culmination of small decisions that you made that led up to where you are now.
1: Yeah. So I just started making small changes and small substitutions and
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And I just built momentum over the course of years towards something that really has um, been difference-making for me.
0: Amazing. And your patients as well. Talking about your patients, talking about these small incremental things that we can do to improve our health, can we address right in the beginning, you are the gut health pro. You are the gut health guru. It's your expertise. It's what you've been studying. You've written books about it. What is...
1: What is gut health? Uh, what is gut health? Good question. <laughs> um, I think that gut health really revolves around the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So, this whole idea there was a breakthrough in science around 2006 that allowed us for the first time to study the gut microbiome. And the microbiome, for those that are listening that have never, you know, perhaps haven't heard much about this we as humans we think of ourselves as like you know we are these powerful dominant creatures the masters of our domain and yet we are um actually an ecosystem for microscopic creatures mm. bacteria and fungi and um these things called archaea and they're a part of our body they're on our skin and in our mouth you know um all external parts of our body are covered in these microbes but they're most concentrated inside of us, inside of our intestines. And we have discovered that there's literally inside of us, specifically in our colon, there's about 38 trillion microbes. Wild. And um, we refer to that as the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And they evolved with us. So um, the entirety of human history, like every single moment has included this gut microbiome. So as we became better at surviving and thriving as humans, it was because of this relationship that we had with these microbes. And so ultimately we now find ourselves in a place here we are 2022. These microbes are very intertwined with human health in Mm -hmm. a powerful way. So like they're connected to our digestion, our immune system, metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, energy levels mm-hmm. if you go back to that story of me on the couch and how i was feeling and all the things that were affecting me i think like it's very clear to me it was a gut health issue and so ultimately when we talk about gut health we're talking about the health of this ecosystem that lives inside of our colon and how we can make them better and make them healthier because in doing that you actually are making yourself in an amplified way so much more healthy mm-hmm
0: talking you mentioned mood and how I, th- I don't think that a lot of people contribute their mood maybe their mood swings their snappiness to or that's just an example to uh to their gut health but there has been so much research going back to how depression and gut health can be linked anxiety and gut health can be linked what are some things that you see if a client comes in or a, a patient comes into you and says hey I'm really mentally struggling here. What are some things that you look for first? Are you looking at the nutrition first? Are you having them do tests? What are some things that you find in those conversations?
1: Well, so I think, first of all, it's important important for people to understand that I'm a gastroenterologist. So for me, they're typically coming to see me for a specific reason, like their digestive issues. Sure. So like gas, bloating, acid reflux, constipation, whatever it may be. Um, and in that in that sort of context, I'm looking at these patients and I'm seeing this pattern where there is a very high prevalence of mood disturbance. And uh, I'm not clearly the first person to notice this. It's very, very well documented that, for example, there's a tremendous overlap between irritable bowel syndrome mm. and things like anxiety and depression. Huh. And um, we've known this for a Quite a period of time. But what we didn't really understand was that like irritable bowel syndrome, we've known about IBS since the 80s, maybe even the 70s. Yet to this day, 2022, like 40, 50 years later, we still don't have a test Yeah. to diagnose irritable bowel syndrome. And the reason why is because I think it comes from the microbiome. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of interesting to think about that. If the root of the problem in irritable bowel syndrome is the microbiome. It's not a coincidence that there's a disproportionate prevalence of these mood disorders like anxiety and depression. And when we start to do the research, and this is all, by the way, unfolding in the last like five years, and there's still a lot that we don't know, but kind of where things are moving is we're discovering that if you take a person who has anxiety or has a depression and you take a look at their gut microbiome, what you're gonna see is that the, the gut microbiome is out of balance. In some way. Yeah. In some way. And so it's not to say that you can do a gut test and diagnose, like, use that to diagnose anxiety and depression. Sure. But it's more so to say that as we build out our understanding of these mood disorders, which are so common, unfortunately, in our society, as we build out our understanding of it, like, ultimately, if we want to create solutions, we have to understand the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. And if the gut microbiome is at the heart of the problem, then let's figure that out and let's figure out how to make that better. And so my approach is typically to take on the digestive health problem. Mm -hmm. But what I've discovered many times is that people who um, have at the same time mood disorders, they they experience an improvement of those mood disorders while we're taking on the digestive health problem. So it's like rising the tide on their health. And when you rise the tide, you can lift their mood up, even though that was never really your intention.
0: I love that analogy. Speaking of digestive issues Very simply I have some clients who will tell me that they go number two They poop two or three times a week maybe and they're like yeah, I've been that way my whole life It's hard for me to just say you should go every single day, and they're like what this is something that I've been Dealing with my entire life. I didn't know it was an issue How often should be people be pooping and what should the consistency be like in a healthy? Bowel movement.
1: First of all, uh, I want to warn the listeners that I feel far too comfortable talking about bowel movements because this if, is what I've done for a living. For if you listen
0: to the Hotter Than Health podcast, you know that go off. Say okay. whatever you want. You can paint us a picture. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it wrapping around twice? Soft bananas? Like what are we looking at here?
1: Okay. Well, I think that it's important for people to understand that to like fully get the picture of a bowel movement, it's so much more than just the frequency. Yeah. Um. You could add, like, right after the frequency, I would add the sort of con- consistency or what does it look like?
0: Frequency and consistency, yes. Yeah.
1: So, like, those those to me are, like, really starting to paint a more robust picture of what's going on. But then the other thing that I want to know about is what does that person experience behind closed doors? Mm. Like, what what's going on when they go to have a bowel movement? What does it
0: take to get this thing out kind of thing? Well,
1: because... When things are in alignment and working the way that they're, they're supposed to, you, know, you, you have to um, consider that the gut thrives on rhythm, much like the heart thrives on rhythm. If you take a person and put them into an abnormal heart rhythm, you can, they could be super healthy. If you knock them into an unhealthy rhythm, they literally can't even climb a flight of stairs, yeah. right? It can be that debilitating the gut thrives on rhythm. When you throw the gut out of rhythm, you're not going to, you, you should not expect to feel your best and to have energy and to, um, experience food or things of that variety, the way that you're supposed to. So ultimately we want to get people in the rhythm. And when you're in rhythm, a bowel movement should come at a consistent basis. Many times it'll be the same time, not necessarily daily, but it could be daily, but you're going to be consistent in the way that it happens. And also it's effortless. Mm -hmm. Bowel movements aren't supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be easy.
0: Like pleasurable. It's supposed to be
1: pleasurable and it's supposed to be something that you don't have to like, certainly not break a sweat, but like you you don't even have to try. You just, you feel the urge. You step into the restroom. You have this like five minute thing. It actually feels really good and you step out satisfied.
0: Five minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's some time. Well, but maybe not to some people. Maybe they're on their phone hanging out and doing their thing.
1: Yeah, you, or less, but... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, okay. And so, what about consistency? What are we looking at here? What do we, what do we not want to see?
1: Well, okay, so they, they actually created something that allows us to evaluate the consistency of a bowel movement, mm-hmm. and, and that way, like, if you and I are talking about a bowel movement, mm-hmm. we can um, say it's this particular type, mm-hmm. and we're both referring to the same thing. Yeah. And this is called the Bristol Stool Scale. Mm-hmm. So, and the Bristol Stool Scale has seven different types of bowel movements, and the, the one that you want Um, Not that you should be uh, anxious if you're slightly deviant from this, but like the one that you want is a Bristol type four. It's right in the middle. And the Bristol four is basically like uh, a sausage shaped bowel movement. Mm -hmm. So it's got a shape, it's formed, it's soft. um, It's not too lumpy bumpy with cracks. And that, that is your Bristol four. Now, if you move towards a Bristol one, Bristol one is like, you're having like turd balls.
0: Oh, I hate that.
1: All right, that's severe constipation. Sure. So, and then on the flip side... Like you, deer pellets. Yeah, deer pellets. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then if you move to Bristol 7, the opposite end of the spectrum, then it's just liquid. It's just water. Yeah. And of course, that's diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we have all the different sort of uh, different shapes that come in between. hmm So, now, you know, it's important for people to understand, like, you could say to me, Doc, I poop every day. Mm-hmm. And if you come in complaining of things like gas and bloating, for example, I am going to still ask the question, are you constipated? Yeah. Even though you poop every day. Yeah. And this is where these specific things come into play. Because if you are having bowel movements that are the Bristol one, Mm -hmm. or they're like hard and mumpy bumpy, Mm -hmm. or it's like a little fuzzy. Yeah. Or like, it's like a nugget. Yeah. Like, like you're putting in great effort. This is where the effort part comes in. You're putting in great effort. You're straining to have this little turd.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I the, think
0: about literally, I think about a juicer. You put all this stuff in and you only get like a tiny cup of juice. This ding, doesn't ding. make sense. Something's yeah. lost, something <laughs> has gotten lost along the way.
1: Right. Okay. So, so there's a person who like, uh, these are people that I've seen so much throughout my career where... You know, they say, I'm, I'm not constipated, I poop every day. And it's like, well, they're assuming that because they poop every day, they're not constipated. That is not true. Mm-hmm. Or I poop five times a day. There's no way I'm constipated. Okay, what comes out? Right. And when they say, oh, well, it's like liquid? a little, it's like a little nugget. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or there could be liquid.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they go, I'm having liquid stools, doc. Like, how is that possibly constipation? Okay, well, there's this thing called overflow diarrhea, where you are backed up with those, like, basically hard balls of stool. So you are impacted with stool inside your colon. Nothing is getting through that's solid, but the liquid can sneak through the cracks and crevices and then you have a diarrhea bowel movement and it's problematic because you yourself experience diarrhea and you go to your doctor and you say, I'm having diarrhea and they put you on a modium and now your problem gets worse.
0: So what do we need to do? What What are the first things that you're talking to clients about? Say, I have a friend, she has... Probably diarrhea-ish bowel movements several times a day. Has had lots of food sensitivities, cannot figure out what's going on, works out consistently, extra hydrated, not a lot of caffeine, eats fairly healthy, and does basically everything she thinks she should be doing, but still has these issues, and she's like, I can't figure out what the fuck is wrong with me. Yeah. What? She's like, I just want, can someone help me? Gone to gastroenterologists, gone to doctors, but what is the... What
1: would you say to this kind of person? Okay. Well, so if we're, if we're approaching these types of issues and, and, you know, by the way, like my, my experience in the last few years has been that these are the people that I'm seeing, yeah. like they fail with other GI doctors and then they come to see me. So yes. I'm so used to this. So, um, if we're approaching this issue, we have to start with asking the question, what are we trying to treat here? Okay. And we have to be confident that we know what we're actually taking on Mm -hmm. because the, everything that comes after that, like what is the plan? That's what everyone wants to know. What is the plan? Well, you can't build a plan if you don't even know what you're targeting. That's true. What are we trying to fix? So
0: let's say we're trying to fix irregular energy. Like this person has wonky energy. They're, exhausted a lot of the time, random bursts of energy, but not really always tired, but always has this weird diarrhea issue.
1: Yeah. So, so as I sit here and I think about this, okay, as a gastroenterologist, the, the way that I sort of approach this is there's certain sort of buzz terms that pop out and I'm like, oh, okay, this, this, and this. So what I'm hearing right now from you is I'm, I'm hearing diarrhea, abnormal bowel movements. So we know that we're not like, regardless if this person is doing everything right, we know we're, we're not where we need to be from a digestive perspective. Yes. Right? I'm also hearing food sensitivities. Mm-hmm. So, and then the last thing is like super low energy. Okay. Right? Throw away everything of, hey, I'm doing everything right and just put that to the side for the moment. They might be doing everything right, but we got to know what's what, what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? So, um, as I hear the, this type of thing, the first question in my mind is, is this person having constipation? with overflow diarrhea. Mm. So because constipation is, by the way, the number one cause of gas and bloating that I've ever come across. So in every single person who has gas and bloating, the question should be, can this be constipation? Mm. Even if you're having liquid stool, you should ask that question. So it's the number one cause of gas and bloating. It is an extremely common cause of food uh, sensitivities or food intolerances. Constipation is a thing? Absolutely. Ah. And what's interesting about the people who are constipated when it comes to food intolerances and food sensitivities is that they're very nondescript. So like if you have a food intolerance to, let's say, dairy products, it'll be specific to dairy products Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be everything. Mm -hmm. It'll be dairy products. But if you have just global food intolerances, that to me speaks to some sort of underlying medical issue. So it's not a specific food that's your problem. It's that there's an underlying medical issue that actually is making you sensitive to everything. Got it. And so constipation is the classic thing that can do that. Because if you take that person and you get them going and you make them poop, like I understand they're having liquid stool, but like if they're backed up on the inside Mm -hmm. and you can relieve that blockage Mm -hmm. and open them up and get them into a rhythm, those food intolerances are going to disappear. Mm. And so is the gas and bloating.
0: So so what are some ways to get rid of constipation? So let's start talking about nutrition. This is what I really want to get into. So what are, if you could briefly go through your philosophy on food and fiber, and then what are some ways to start solving uh, an issue like that? Yeah, Yeah. like this, this particular issue. know that I've been traveling more and you know that there's nothing more important for my regularity for my morning conference call than hydration. I am staying extremely hydrated as I travel to make sure that my morning conference calls and my regularity and my digestion are not going out the window when I travel. So many of my clients have trouble staying regular when they travel but one of the things that I do to stay ahead of that is make sure that I'm bringing my Organifi greens powder. The reason I love this powder so much is not only does it have the wheatgrass and the kale and the different green blends and their proprietary blends, but it also has adaptogens like ashwagandha. So not only am I setting my digestion up with a decent amount of fiber, but I'm also setting it up with the nutrients and adaptogens that it needs to stay calm, stay clear, and stay regular throughout the rest of the day. I have my large glass of water then I do my greens juice, and then once I'm all remineralized and have the nutrients that I need to fill in the gaps throughout the day, that is when I go on to coffee or any other beverage. During this trip, I'm using my travel packets, which have been a game changer. Be on the lookout on my social media. We're going to be doing a huge giveaway with Organifi. But in the meantime, make sure you are checking out the greens powder. It is my absolute favorite. I've been loving the green apple flavor. You can use the code HTH. 20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the best code or the best discount that you will get anywhere for Organifi. Again, go to Organifi.com slash HTH and you can use the code HTH at checkout for 20% off. Use the protein, use the greens powder, whatever you need, especially if you're traveling, got the greens powder. HTH20 for 20% off at Organifi.com.
1: Okay, well, so my my brief sort of summary quick notes version of my uh, nutritional philosophy you, is that um, this is not like a uh, all-or-nothing thing this is not a vegan thing this is a fiber thing um, and really sort of a plants you know orientation type of thing which The motivation for me wanting to sort of push a more plant predominant diet is that, first of all, um, dietary fiber is essential to the health of your gut microbiome. This is their preferred food. What is unique about fiber that is different from almost any other nutrient is that we are incapable of processing fiber. And so because of that, the fiber will actually arrive to where the microbes live, which is at the end of your intestine. Mm -hmm. The fiber will get there and then they get to eat it and they do and they grow stronger and they become more capable of supporting not just your digestion, but your metabolism, your immune system, your hormones, your mood, your brain health. It's not a coincidence that when you study fiber, you will find that dietary fiber is good for people that have irritable bowel syndrome helps with digestion. You will find that it's good for people with diabetes or high blood pressure or obesity. It's good for the metabolism. You will find that it. there's uh, studies with regard to viruses mm-hmm. and how it can enhance the immune system. There's studies where they're treating people who have cancer with something called immunotherapy, which uses the immune system to attack the cancer. And fiber can actually be difference-making for that. Like, it gets insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to, like, summarize in two seconds how powerful this is other than to say that In my single favorite fiber study of all time, Uh, it was a, what we call systematic review and meta-analysis. They pulled together all the data. So like, there's no bias here. We're not cherry picking data. We're pulling it all into one place and we're going to see what the truth is. They found that people who like quite simply eat more fiber, they are less likely to have a heart attack, less likely to die of heart disease, less likely to be diagnosed with three types of cancer. Which are what? uh, Esophageal cancer, breast cancer, and colon cancer. They're less likely to to die of cancer. They're less likely to have a stroke. They're less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. So right there, I just listed four of the top 10 causes of death. There's other studies with Alzheimer's. There's other studies with chronic kidney disease. The point is that we need fiber. Fiber. And it's good for our gut microbes. And it's not hard to find. It's it's in plants. All plants have fiber. But we're just not eating this way. Yeah. Plants currently make up 10% of the American diet 60% Sixty percent of the American wait wait
0: wait. Plants make up ten percent of the well, diet. Okay, like
1: okay. real plants. Fair. Like, okay, okay. Okay. As opposed to um, eating Oreos, which are plant based.
0: Got it. Got it. You see okay. What I'm saying? Okay. Yes. So what do, what would you say about just just to give people a picture? Because now I want to know. So there's plants, and then there's like minorly processed. So chickpea pasta. What would you could put that in? As-
1: you know, it all depends on where you want to draw the line. So okay. of course we're going to consume pasta. I'm not. Like I I eat pasta and chickpea pasta can be a very healthy version of pasta. Yes. Right. So, but to me where I sort of draw the line is like, is it a minimally or slightly processed food? Right. So like I I would actually put, for example, tofu. Mm -hmm. If you could, if you can make it at yourself. Sure. Then to me it is fair game. But nobody's
0: at home fermenting soybeans and making tofu at home. But they could. They could.
1: They could. And it's actually not that hard to do. And the same is true with pasta. Like... If you wanted to make pasta, I guarantee you within a week, you could figure out how to make pasta, right?
0: Maybe I should just make some chickpea pasta. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Writing it down. No,
1: but in all seriousness, though, like, uh, I, I think that, like, if, to me, that's where I sort of make the distinction is like, if you have the ability to produce this product at home, okay. Then that to me is a minimally processed thing. Got it. But on the flip side, if there is no way you're ever going to be able to do this, because frankly, it involves chemicals that you don't even know where to get it. Got it. Okay. That's an ultra processed food.
0: I can't go go home and make Doritos or, you know, got it. Right. Okay. And flip okay. it
1: over and look at the ingredients. And if you're asking the question, what the hell is that? Let me tell you something. I'm asking the same question and I was a chemistry major in college and I have no clue what this is. Yeah. Right. So, and what does it mean for our body? Mm. And that's 60% of our calories. Right? So 60% of our, pro- our calories are coming from those foods. And then 30% of our calories are coming from animal products. Now, let me say this. The thing about the animal products, again, coming back to this from my perspective, this is not an ethically motivated conversation and this is not all or nothing. This is about keeping it real, though. Mm-hmm. 30% of our calories are coming from animal products. The fiber content of that is zero. Zero, yeah. So oh. if we took this diet that we currently have and we... Quite simply you got rid of the ultra processed foods and we replaced it with actual plant foods I'm not talking like raw I just mean like plant foods in general mm-hmm. if we if we did that we would be 70% plant-based and 30% animal products and that is pretty much a paleo diet and that is a great step in the right direction from my perspective I personally think that we're more healthy than a paleo diet with something that's closer to a med diet which is like, you know, 90%, 85, 90% plant-based. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is like where we're getting supreme. Mm-hmm. But even so, like I would I would actually jump, you know, up and down with joy and do a celebratory dance if everyone got rid of the 60% of their calories that's ultra processed foods. Or
0: if people could get rid of like 40% of that. I mean, these small adjustments over time, you make a good point. It's, it's I always tell people, I'd rather... 90% of people make a 10% improvement, then 10% of people make a 90% improvement.
1: I'll take anything. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all, seriously, I'm all progress over perfection. The last thing that I want is people to hear me and then think, oh gosh, I can't do that. That's the last thing that I want. What I want is to say, look, any step in the right direction is a step that I celebrate. And so- Let so, me
0: ask you this, as I reach over here. Let me ask you this. You mentioned, okay, going back to the constipation issue, yeah. if- because a couple of questions came in about that. When you are trying to solve this constipation issue and you say oftentimes it is a, a lack of fiber or a lack of variety in fiber or in a different issue in that sense, but then when they try and eat vegetables, they have a really tough time. Absolutely. What, what are your suggestions for someone who is like, I can't eat greens. I have a huge, terrible stomach ache every time I eat some types of fiber, like beans, rice, anything.
1: Yeah, totally. It actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But people, I yeah, want people to, I, I believe that people are intelligent enough for us to talk about the nuance than for us to make simple rules that are way oversimplifications that ultimately make you less less healthy in the long run. Yeah. So the, the nuance to this is that if you take this person who, uh, let's assume that they are in fact constipated. Okay. Okay. Again, constipation going to cause gas and bloating, going to cause food intolerances. I know that their constipation is better when the gas and bloating is gone. Mm -hmm. That's when I know they're better. Mm -hmm. So um, if they start taking fiber rich foods and they start dropping the fiber rich foods in there, first of all, they're not moving things through. So the fiber just sits in there and the gut microbes have unlimited time to produce gas. So they get even more gas.
0: And it just, yeah.
1: So, that, so, so the gas actually gets worse, which basically they will interpret as a food intolerance because we're calling it gas, but it could manifest with cramps or pain.
0: Sure. Or fatigue and all these things.
1: All these things. Um, so, and then the the other thing is like their gut microbiome is impaired, right? Yeah. Like they're not in a good place. This is why they're manifesting this constipation in the first place. If the gut microbiome is impaired, then it's you're in a tricky position to start dropping in the type of food that actually is asking it to do more work. Because if you think about what I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're not capable of processing and digesting fiber. We're not capable of doing that, which means that it is 100% on your gut microbiome. So we are asking the microbiome to do the work, Mm. okay? Now, there's something that I call the fiber paradox, because it's important for people to understand. Like some people would get to this point that you and I have discussed, acknowledging that fiber can actually be problematic in this case. And they'll say, get rid of the fiber. That's the solution. Like just get rid of just get rid of the plants. And you'll feel better. And the problem is, the fiber paradox is that the people who need fiber the most are the ones who will struggle the most to add it into their diet.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of hotter than health. That was Dr. B the gut health MD. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. Make sure you're following hotter than health on Instagram so that you can be up to date on what new episodes are coming out. We are going to have part two next week. All right. That is part two of the Dr. B episode next week. Do not miss it. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss out on the final parts of this conversation. It's just as long. It's just as good. And it's just as full of information. Again, if you have not already, head to iTunes and Apple or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening on the little purple app, and hit follow, leave us five stars, and write us a review. It is the best way for people to naturally find the Hotter Than Health podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, do the same, rate us five stars, and follow us there. You'll never miss an episode. You'll never miss the info. You can also check us out on my website, ElizaGWellness.com, to book a nutrition consultation or to see if a more long-term three-month intensive nutrition and wellness program is a good fit for you for weight loss, longevity, inflammation, digestion, and overall wellness. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.